Hello, hello, and welcome to the Three Times Dope Podcast. Uh, this is our third episode, and we are excited to uh, jump into the conversation tonight. We have three uh, dope, um, dynamic, distinguished doctors uh, that is going to engage in a, uh, a very fruitful conversation around the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, but before we jump into that conversation, it is the new year, right? So happy new year, everyone. Happy new happy, year. Happy, happy. Happy, happy. New year. Happy, yes, new year. happy new year. Um, and we're coming in hot this, uh, this, this new year with the topic that we were talking about. But before we jump into our topic, we want to just first hear, uh, what are your New Year's resolutions, New Year's goal that you may have set for your uh, yourself this year? And so what I, I would love is if, if we can have everybody share, our guests, um, they can share and then also just give an introduction of themselves and tell who they are and just give us that goal. And so we just want to share our goal in under a minute. So I'll get us started to give you a little bit of think time. So my New Year goal is uh, bet on me. Um, I spent a lot of time focusing on a lot of other things. And I said this year, you know what? I'm going to bet on myself. Uh, a lot of times I've allowed fear to cripple me from stepping out um, and investing in me and betting on me and, and engaging in ventures that I know will be important because I, I, I'm scared that I may fail. But I set a goal that I'm going to bet on me, commit my plans to the Lord and trust that they will succeed. So that is my New Year's goal. Bet on me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw it over to uh, Dr. Simmons. Coming in hot, three times dope. I want to welcome everybody. 2021, um, my New Year's goal um, is to uh, be outside more. That's it. All right. Enjoy the outdoors. Be a little more, you know, that COVID joint had me scared in 2021. Like, I was up in the crib, like, Laptop, iPad, and PlayStation. Oh, it's great. So, like, my goal is to get out um, and um, spend some more time in the outdoors um, and uh, celebrate life uh, in 2021. So, uh, that's it for me. So, that is my New Year's goal. So, I'm going to kick it over to uh, Dr. Hayes. Yes, sir. So my New Year's goal, I, I usually write about like 20 different things that I just want to affirm in myself coming into the new year. Uh, but one that I will share is uh, to really think about how I can find my passions. Um, so one, I'm big on just like mental health and just black wellness and just kind of living your whole life and your whole self. And in my reflections, what I realized is that this thing, this work that I'm passionate about as a school leader, having worked in education the entirety of my career, um, while it is a passion, it had consumed me. And I think I forgot about all the other things that used to bring me joy outside of education. So I am recommitting to figure out what those passions are. Uh, this podcast included, I think it's an opportunity for educators to talk about topics outside of education. And so for me, it's really about exploring uh, my life as my whole self and just integrating all of those worlds and to find passions outside of work. Awesome. Do I get to pass it? I'll go to Dr. Burley. You can go ahead and share your New Year's resolution, good sir. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, one thing that 2020 taught all of us, but me especially, is to be flexible, to be nimble, to be agile. Uh, and so I'm going into 2021 uh, with the intentionality about continuing to live into that spirit, about the opportunities that might exist for me, uh, things that uh, I might be open to, uh, and a large part of my success has been my ability to uh, step outside of the box, step outside of my comfort zone, uh, and so COVID really forced that uh, on me, uh, and so now I'm embracing it and going into 2021 uh, with that with that same energy, but this time more prepared to take on new opportunities, new ventures. Um, that's a personal goal. Um, I have a, a, a public goal, um, and that's really to uh, educate and inform as many people uh, as possible about uh, COVID-19, um, about the vaccines, um, but even more than that, about the social determinants of health, right? Uh, the, uh, those um, conditions that make us sick, 
uh, that are apart from our biology, our physiology, uh, and otherwise. And so, uh, again, COVID really shined a light on the disparities that exist uh, among us. Uh, and I think moving forward, uh, we would all do much better, um, you know, knowing that poverty, housing uh, insecurity, food insecurity, uh, mass incarceration, that all of these things uh, contribute to our wellness. Uh, and so, um, yeah, just trying to give people information uh, and education so that people can make informed decisions about about their, their, their health outcomes. All right, all right. And, and last but not least, uh, Dr. Wosu, can you, you share with us your, your New Year's goal or resolution? Sure, well, good evening, gentlemen. Um, I think my New Year's resolution would probably be to read. I know during this pandemic, a lot of book clubs popped up and I forgot how much I really enjoyed reading non-medical um, yeah. books and journals. And so this year I plan to read a little bit more outside of my field of expertise. No more right. reading JAMA, Dr. Wilson. <laughs> I always have to read that. That just that just comes with the territory. So <laughs> we begin tonight with sobering numbers on the coronavirus pandemic. Confirmed cases in the U.S. now top 20 million, nearly a quarter of the world's total. Half of America's cases were reported in the past two months. Tonight, the COVID death toll has passed 347,000. And that new strain of the virus that's far easier to catch has now been found in a third state, Florida. That strain accounts for about 60% of new infections in London, England. And researchers fear it could spread quickly in this country. Infections are already racing out of control in California. Los Angeles County has reportedly shut down five clinics, shifting those doctors over to hospitals because they are just overwhelmed with COVID. So we see from the broadcast, uh, the discussion about COVID, um, numbers are ramping up, but there is a vaccine, um, not one, but two vaccines. And tonight we wanna talk about that. We wanna talk about the vaccines and in particular talking about uh, the vaccines as it relates to the black community um, and the lack of trust uh, that exists within the black community, and rightly so, when we think about uh, the the medical industry, and we look at um, historical evidence of the the way that black people have been treated in our country when it comes to medical treatment, be it from the Tuskegee study, um, or if it's from Hen Henrietta Lacks, uh, we see where um, mistreatment has come to the black community, and so now with the vaccine. We, there's many discussions that are happening. Some of you may have had the discussion over the holidays with your family. Uh, I just had a discussion at the barbershop this weekend about um, are you taking the vaccine? And so tonight we have three dynamic uh, distinguished doctors that are gonna talk to us about, um, about the COVID-19 vaccine. And so we're gonna jump um, right in and have them introduce themselves uh, and, and just um, get us started in this in this conversation. So uh, first, I'm just going to start with Dr. Wosu. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Wosu? Sure. Um, I'm Dr. Uchechi Wosu. I'm a native Washingtonian, and I currently practice internal medicine in the D.C. area. I'm also a content contributor for MedCraze.com and the owner of Bright Hope Home Care and author of Straight Talk from the Doctor. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Dr. Burley, can you tell us a little bit about you, sir? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Ulysses Burley, I'm founder of UBD Care, an organization that operates at the intersections of health and human rights. Uh, I am clinically trained in uh, allergy and immunology uh, with a fellowship in HIV and AIDS. Much of my work has been around the HIV and AIDS epidemic. I had the privilege uh, to serve President Barack Obama as a member of his Presidential Advisory Council on HIV and AIDS. Uh, but when COVID came on the scene, uh, I talked about that agility um, and I shifted uh, my priorities. And so I've since joined uh, the COVID-19 Prevention Network, uh, which is the NIH funded entity uh, responsible for evaluating all government sponsored uh, COVID-19 vaccine candidates. And so vaccines that are a part of the Operation Warp Speed. Uh, and my role is mainly to uh, educate and inform 
um, those communities that have been most disproportionately impacted uh, by COVID-19, particularly communities of color. Uh, and so making sure those communities have access to uh, factual uh, science-based uh, empirical uh, evidence and knowledge around COVID-19, uh, but also the treatments, uh, antibodies, and vaccines that have been developed uh, to help us get out of this pandemic uh, so that uh, people can make an informed decision. Uh, and I am based in Chicago, Illinois. Awesome. So we're going to jump right into to our first question. Um, how do we build trust in our community when it comes to taking the vaccine? How do we build trust? Well, one is unfortunate that, you know, this question is coming up now with this vaccine because it should have come up a long time ago when we see the disproportionate numbers of African Americans who have diabetes, who have heart disease, who died earlier from breast cancer. The trust goes way back, you know, with those medical illnesses and not just with this current vaccine. There is a term that was used by a renowned author, Harriet Washington. Um, the term is iatrophobia. And that is pretty much a term used in the African-American community who fears the healthcare system. And there's reason for it to be feared. You know, that was stated earlier before. And it goes beyond Tuskegee. It just goes beyond um, Henrietta Lacks. I mean, this is things that have happened to us and our, our people um, for hundreds of years. And so to build that trust, we have to understand the past. We have to understand our history and what had happened, you know, what happened then and to move forward from there. I know as an internist, I look at my patients as family, you know, and so until a physician and healthcare providers can look at their patients as their sister, as their uncle, as their grandfather, we're not going to get equitable care. We have to treat people like ourselves and it's not just building trust within for this vaccine is building trust in, or rebuilding trust uh, within the healthcare system. Historically, we are more likely to take CMOS before we take a pill or drink apple cider vinegar. That stems from our history when we were mistreated and given medications that were harmful to us versus medications that were given to people who didn't look like us. So it goes way back. And so we have to understand that history in order to move forward and build that trust that we so desperately need right now. Mm. That was good. That was good. Doc, Dr. Burley, do you, do you want to chime in? Yeah, absolutely. For me, I think we build trust through truth telling and information. And so I think a lot of the mistrust is historical, but, you know, if we're clear, you know, the United States Public Health Service uh, study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male in Tuskegee, you know, happened over 40 years ago now. Um, and so I think today in order we, we have to continue with that legacy. That happened, right? Um, but I think a part of what has to happen next is that we give the correct factual information about the ways in which medicines, treatments are developed uh, today, particularly for uh, people who look like us, uh, and let people decide whether or not you know it's something that they can trust. Um, just based on the facts and information. Um, so a part of it is, 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 is the message, uh, but then the other part of it is the messenger, right? Um, and so I think that information of, uh, has to come from the right people, uh, people who look like me, people who look like Dr. Wilson, people who look like you all. Uh, we have empirical evidence that says uh, that black people who are treated by other black people have better health outcomes. We know that to be true. Um, and uh, so in the same sense, uh, we need to have more people who look like us uh, with the capacity to share information, to educate, to reach those who need the information the most um, so that we can uh, begin to free ourselves of the chains of our past uh, so that we can, you know, be liberated in our, in our future uh, on a public health sense. And so. Uh, I agree with everything Dr. Dr. Wilson said in terms of 
contending with the legacy of medical untrustworthiness. Uh, but moving forward, we also have to contend with the real reality that people of color, specifically black people, find ourselves uh, at the bottom of every list as it relates to uh, health outcomes. Uh, and that a part of the reason for that is our the legacy of medical untrustworthiness but it's also how that legacy continues to entrap us to deny and reject the solutions or problems that affect us disproportionately. So uh, again, my, my, my hope, uh, my prayer as a person of faith is that uh, everybody who needs access to uh, the information that they need to make informed decisions about their health has access to it. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with people rejecting biomedicine on the basis of facts and information that they understand. What I'm not okay with is with people rejecting biomedicine because they didn't have the information or because they received misinformation or because they didn't have a good understanding of the information. So uh, I, I give thanks for platforms like this uh, that allow us to be able to come together uh, and to share information in a culturally competent way uh, for our people, by our, our people. I think that's what it's going to take to, to reestablish trust uh, in these systems. Amen. Amen, brother. Uh, Parker, can I jump in real quick with a follow-up to that question? Sure. So I think it's interesting. One, we were very intentional about who we invited on this show to talk about something as sensitive as the, the COVID vaccine, right? And both of you touch on this, this importance of you being a representation of the people that you're serving. And I'm wondering, uh, given the legacy and history of just Black people's engagement with the medical field, how do you reconcile your identity as a Black person uh, and the history that you are a part of as being a Black person? with the history of the you as a medical professional, right? And so I imagine that you all kind of had to come to grips and trust the science in a way that allowed you to like bring those worlds together. So I'm wondering, one, what process do you go through to reconcile those worlds? And then two, what do you see as kind of your, your charge as a face that we presumably should trust because you represent both, both of those worlds? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I tend to make decisions based on facts over fear. And I know there's a lot of fear out there. And so for me, there's really no reconciliation. I understand being a black female growing up in, in Washington, DC, um, attending public school. You know, I've you know I'd experienced a lot. And I do my due diligence in researching and understanding the data, understanding the facts, and knowing who that information was, um, who that information was given from. So once I do that, I can then educate my patients. My patients. There is a huge responsibility, I think, um, in order to do that because unfortunately, it's our fears that will actually be worse than what we're fearing. It's actually going to hurt us. And so if we can just make decisions based on factual information. Um, do our due diligence and not just, you know, follow the pack um, of people who are, you know, naysayers, but actually understanding the implications of the decisions that we are making. Um, and we go from there and we move forward. There is no way that a patient is going to follow your recommendations if they don't trust you. I have to build trust with my patients before we even get into their medical concern for today. I need to talk about their Christmas. I need to talk about their grandchild, you know, who just turned five. I need to develop that relationship and rapport with my, with my patients who are like my family. Then we can move forward. Then they're more trusting of the information I have to say because they see me as a person and I don't see them as a number. Yeah, I'd like to add to that and say, you know, I consider being in a medical profession as a birthright. Um, I don't consider it to be novel to be black and brilliant uh, in the sciences uh, in, in America. If if we go back, if, if people go back and Google uh, Onesimus, um, there was a there was a, a he was a slave, uh, an African slave uh, enslaved in the uh, New England region uh, around Boston. And he introduced inoculation to America. Uh, an African slave, uh, because Africans had been doing it for generations uh, to, to stave off 
uh, widespread epidemics in their own villages and their own tribes. Uh, and so a black slave who bought his freedom uh, introduced inoculation to prevent against smallpox at the time uh, to America. Uh, and then of course, you know, white people took that information and monetized it and uh, made it their own. Uh, but people like us uh, were people who helped stave off, you know, one of the first and most impactful uh, pandemics in this, in this country, smallpox. And so again, uh, I think if more of us knew that history uh, that we would embrace, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of bridge between science and sociology uh, and faith even um, in terms of how it is that we engage healthcare systems. Uh, but uh, again, there is a legacy of medical untrustworthiness. There's a legacy of medical bias. There is present medical untrustworthiness and medical bias that we I'm sure have all experienced in some form or fashion um, as care providers, but also people who have needed care themselves uh, that we have to contend with. But uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, there was no reconciliation that needed to take place, as, 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 as Dr. Wilson said, in terms of uh, being black, um, having people in my own family who tell me, yeah, I'm not taking the vaccine. I don't trust it, uh, even though they have a resource, um, somebody who they do trust, you know, telling them that, hey, uh, I've, I've reviewed the facts. I've reviewed the science. I understand the science. And based on what I know, uh, I have the confidence to say that, you know, I'm going to participate in that. And I want you to be able to have that confidence as well. Um, so, you know, again, I think we have to do more education amongst ourselves, more truth telling, more fact sharing uh, about our, our own history uh, and the roles that we've played in the medical advancement advancements that everybody enjoys today uh, and know that we deserve to continue to be a part of those advancements um, that will benefit us, uh, especially in a time where uh, pandemics like HIV and AIDS and now COVID-19 have disproportionately impacted black people all over the world and in this country. Thank you for those uh, responses. So uh, we, we have another dynamic dope doctor that has joined the, uh, the, the podcast. And so um, if, if you can just take a moment to, to introduce yourself, uh, Dr. Stanford, um, that would be great. Hi, everybody. My name is Ayla Stanford. I am a pediatric surgeon and also board certified adult general surgeon and founder of the Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium in Philadelphia, PA. And we started in March of 2020 when everyone was calling saying they couldn't get a test for coronavirus. And clearly they had symptoms. And I've been a doctor, I think, a little longer than my uh, colleagues on the call here. Uh, and I'm in private practice. And after 23 years of knowing that African-Americans have more disproportionate health disparities in every health condition, decided that I wasn't waiting for the city, the state, the feds to give us what we needed to reduce the spread of coronavirus and started a mobile testing unit. We've tested over 21,000 people now. Uh, since we began in April, we are about to uh, start helping the city of Philadelphia administer uh, coronavirus vaccines to those who want to receive it in the Philadelphia region. And um, I love black people, you know that. I'm committed to us um, and I'm just ready to answer any questions folks may have. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yes, um, definitely uh, shout outs to, to Dr. Stanford doing work. I'm in West Philly and you've been in my community uh, multiple times. So I know multiple people have benefited from those COVID site testings. And so we want to jump right in. Um, there was a, a the word trust was mentioned quite, you know, a lot of times uh, from everyone in regards to it. So can you speak um, one before I even go there? I'm going to just dive right in. Have any of you taken the vaccine? Has anyone taken the vaccine? I have. Yes. Okay. I get my second dose tomorrow. Okay. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah my, my, number, my number hasn't come up yet, but I'm slated in the next couple of weeks and I, I will participate. Any side effects? 
Jesus. Just jump so, right in there. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> That's, what this, That's what it is. I yes. want to know. And I'm sure Dr. Rosu can comment. I can tell you for me, it was very emotional. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I went back and forth about it because, and I've said this multiple times, I'm a black woman first. And culturally, you know, we were raised that you don't trust, you don't go to the hospital unless you're sick and about to die. So granted, I am a physician. I went to medical school and all of that, but I'm a black woman first. So I had to deal with all of my fears and trepidation that I had about Tuskegee, about Dr. Sims, about Holmesburg Prison, about Henrietta Lack, about coronavirus right now. And channel that and say, how do I separate black me from medical physician me and make the best choice? Also recognizing being a leader in the community and what my decision meant for the African-American community. Um, and so it was not a easy choice. I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't um, because I had to honestly separate an entire way that I was raised as a black woman and focus purely on science me. And that's, I mean, you're only one person, but I had to do that. So all that to say, I got the vaccine. It was emotional. Um, there were a lot of tears shed because in that moment, it was all the people we had taken care of, all the people who had died, all the people who waited in the cold to get a test, all the people still waiting to get what they can't have, but yet it was, it was hard. So I got it. Mm. I felt queasy driving home. I had a headache. Um, I just felt a little off. I got home, I was okay. But the next day I literally sat in a chair for 12 hours and just couldn't do much. It was the snow day. It was December 17th. So we didn't have to go out, but I was just exhausted. Like I just felt like I had run a marathon. And by, and of course my arm hurt, but that's a given. By Friday, I perked up like, okay, so this really did affect me, you know? Um, so that was my experience. Tomorrow, I'll see what happens. Um, and I had already had COVID as well. So I think that maybe my uh, my effects may be different than others, and I received the Pfizer. But I'm very interested to hear um, from the other doctor how she felt. So a little different because I practically ran to get my vaccine. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> like, get out of my right. way. I'm right. up next. Right. And it was was interesting. It was the same, you know, emotional experience. Um, you know, thinking about all my patients who I've lost, all my patients who I put on disability, who cannot go back to work mm -hmm. because of this. But at the end of the day, I come home to two beautiful children and a wonderful husband, and I promise I will continue to come home to them. So that vaccine was helpful in that. Um, I did my research, you know, I, I didn't take it just, you know, without any knowledge, without any fear, any trepidation behind it. Of course, I read probably every journal, every article, every study, uh, as much as I could, just to um, get a better understanding and make sure that I was making the right decision uh, for myself. And of course, telling my patient to do the same thing, but I did do it. Um, I was very happy that I did it. And, you know, the motto of, or the saying that we say, we've said all summer, Black Lives Matter, it does. And this Black life matters. And so that's why I took the vaccine and I'm looking forward to getting my second one, January 27th. Yeah. As far as side effects, um, that's, my that's, that's, I mean, and that's what you're seeing. It's about, and, and you don't, not that you have to share your age with me, but that's a difference of experience and age and what you've seen. And when I went to medical school and when you went to medical school, it was a different experience. And the things that we saw that couldn't even happen today as a black patient or as a black intern or resident, it's totally different. And so that is part of the experience and everyone is rooted in their experiences and what they've seen improper, right? Things that continue to go on. And that's what brings forth that trepidation for everyone, right? right. 
So I just caught I just caught like major chills. That's the first time I've heard the COVID vaccine framed in the context of Black Lives Matter, right? And so we know you all have talked about just the, the, the rates of just every kind of disease and issue and challenge uh, in the medical field. I'm, can we just jump straight into it? So when you all think about, you all read far more articles than I could ever read about this. What is the science telling us about this uh, this particular vaccine, how it was developed, the time it took to develop it? Could you all address some of the myths and misconceptions as it relates to the science behind the vaccine and why you felt comfortable trusting it? So if I can talk about the time, if someone else wants to talk about killed versus not killed and mRNA technology, and then someone else could talk about long-term side effects. Can I just say, I'm just loving how you just handed out all these scientific terms with <laughs> great <laughs> confidence <laughs> and all of them, all of them like, like it's 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 in a dictionary, an encyclopedia, ERQs and POPs and Listen, like- <laughs> Dr. Wosu and Dr. Burley were like, not phased. Gotcha, girl, whatever yeah, you need, I got I it. it. But there's aspect. So, it, I mean, someone can handle the duration with which the time it took to develop it, you know, mRNA technology versus killed and not killed in live vaccine, and then the immediate, intermediate, and long-term side effects. And we could each do one of those. Let me get my notepad. Keep, keep. Yeah, I can, I can start by um, first clarifying by saying that uh, there isn't just one vaccine. Um, mm -hmm. So... There are a number of vaccine candidates. Uh, there are at least um, 64, 64, 65 vaccines that are in uh, human trials, human clinical trials right now. Uh, and then there are probably another 80 plus that are in animal trials right now. Um, of that 64 or so, uh, 20 of them are in phase three. And so that's the, the, the uh, last and final phase um, for vaccine studies. Uh, seven of them have been approved for uh, limited use, and this is worldwide. Um, three have been outright approved, uh, and then there's at least one vaccine trial that has been abandoned um, in the world uh, down in Australia. Um, and so uh, the vaccines that are currently available in the United States uh, are the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, mRNA candidate and the Moderna mRNA candidate. So. Um, so we currently have two vaccines approved for emergency use authorization, uh, meaning that the FDA hasn't approved them for widespread use, um, but that the data was substantial enough to suggest that the vaccine was safe and effective for emergency use in case of an emergency like a pandemic. Uh, and so, um, as you know, I think 17 million doses of uh, both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine combined have been distributed to the United States. Uh, last I checked today, only about 4.8 million of those doses have made it, actually made it into people's arms. Um, so we still have a long way to go. Uh, but, um, you know, the, 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 the other two doctors talked about uh, their emotional experience having received the vaccine uh, as, as a scientist um, and also and also a clinician, um, I get emotional about how fast and how how far science has come. Um, and the fact that we were able to develop a viable, safe, effective vaccine in less than a year um, is incredible to me. And I think it's a testament to um, the powers of science. Um, the fact that Black people were in part responsible for it. The Moderna mRNA candidate uh, was wholly developed by Dr. Kizzy, a black woman, uh, a black woman under the age of 35. Uh, and so that's that's powerful for me again. Um, you know, this is our birthright. Uh, this is what we've always done. Uh, and so um, that's at least the, the technical side of it. Um, in terms of the platform for which the vaccine is being delivered. Uh, the mRNA candidates are the candidates that are currently available to us. Uh, and essentially, uh, the vaccine has been created to give our cells a message to produce a protein, uh, the spike protein in particular on the coronavirus uh, that then expresses itself on our own cells 
that our body can recognize, develop antibodies and T cells to, to then attack and respond if in fact we were exposed to the actual uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, in the future. Um, and so in the traditional sense, traditional platform vaccines um, and activated vaccines or vaccines developed uh, with other viruses as a platform, uh, um, adenoviruses, um, those vaccines are usually manufactured in factories. Uh, and then you actually put it in our arms and then our bodies respond to it. The mRNA vaccine is using our bodies as the factory to manufacture the proteins that our bodies would otherwise respond to. And so uh, it's a really uh, cool concept uh, and it's one that allowed uh, for the rapid development of uh, these current vaccine candidates that um, are now available to us or at least to some of us. Uh, and there are other platforms uh, that are uh, in the pipeline, the AstraZeneca um, vaccine candidate will probably be next um, uh, in terms of availability in, in the states. Uh, it's already available uh, in uh, other places uh, like uh, the UK. Um, and then Johnson & Johnson is working on uh, a vaccine candidate. Uh, but like I said, there are many different vaccines in the pipeline that will be approved and that will need to be approved uh, to meet the world's need for uh, a vaccine. Seven billion people on Earth, uh, and so we can't possibly rely on uh, two companies to manufacture the world's vaccines. And so we're going to need a lot, uh, a lot of different vaccine candidates um, that might work differently from for some people than others based on their platform and um, how they were developed and who they were tested in. Uh, and so. Uh, while we've come a long way, we still have a, a long way to go in terms of um, the vaccine front uh, to get us out of this pandemic global. And so one big issue that patients have or people have discussed is the time uh, that this vaccine was created. Oh, my goodness. How can you take a vaccine that was just made in months? You know, something must be wrong with it. And so going back to what was just said about the different technology that was made and particularly for the Pfizer Moderna vaccine, the Moderna was the vaccine that I received. Um, but going back to those vaccines, as far as why was it created so fast, is when you look at the conventional way of making vaccines, when you take a weakened or an inactivated virus, you have to let it grow. It has to grow. You have to have petri dishes and cultures and things of that nature. That takes a very long time. And the technology that they're using with MRA, it's, it's faster, much faster than how we used to make or how we did make weakened, and, uh, weakened or inactivated vaccines. Secondly, when you have tens of billions of dollars thrown uh, for something to be made, for this vaccine to be developed, when you have a world of resources um, right at your door, things get done quicker. I mean, it's just simple facts. It's not that it's done sloppier or messier or without thought. It's the same pathway, the same delicate um, testing that's done for any vaccine. It's just you have more resources. And because mRNA was not, um, I mean, one, this is not a new, a new technology. This has been in the workings um, for many years, since the 80s probably. And, but when you don't have the need, the emergency like we had right now, they just didn't have the funding to bring it out there. It was coming, just it's just coming faster now because of the resources and the billions of dollars that were poured into it. Okay. And then the other part is people talk about the side effects. I mean, what about the side effects? So the advantage to people having studied this mRNA technology for decades is that we know a lot about it. The downside is it hadn't actually been used in a person, so we don't know the long-term effects. So you know the immediate effects. That is, you have soreness in your arm. You heard me say, I felt a little queasy and things like that. Then over a 60 day and at most 90 day, you might have intermediate effects. And that's where people talked about some GI upsets and headaches and things like that. 
But the disadvantage we don't have is the long-term effects. And that's where everyone was talking about this mRNA is going to become part of my DNA and it's going to mutate and it's going to cause cancer 40 years from now and all these types of things that were out there. But the mRNA particle, which is within a liposome, which is uh, basically lipid containing is so far away from the nucleus of your DNA that there's no reverse transcriptase that's gonna form and then it's gonna cause this mutation and so forth. So that cannot happen, so we can exclude that. But what we can't give people is the confidence uh, of, of time. And that's typically what you have when a vaccine rolls out is you can say, we followed this for two years or four years or something, and that gives people a certain level of confidence. Like when the HPV vaccine came out, which is, you know, in our lifetime, um, you had that. And no amount of questioning, discussion is going to answer that question for you. Um, and that's where you have the facts and you have the faith and you go with the technology that you know and you make a choice about it because time is the only thing that will answer that question. Um, and as you heard the doctor say, no one is injecting coronavirus into your body, right? Um, and so those are some of the major questions, you know, the side effects, injecting it, and it was done too soon. It was created soon, this is one of my children. It was created soon because there was a need for it, but it is not a new technology. Dr. Stanford, you just convinced me to get the vaccine. <laughs> Dr. Burley, Dr. Yeah. Wosu, where, where I gotta go? I'm in line, I need a ticket. I mean, so real, real fast to, to, um, to get clarity though, can, can, can you explain the difference between the two vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer? Like is, is one better? Can, can we speak, uh, can you speak to the differences? Cause I don't think people are aware of the differences between uh, the two vaccines. The technology for the vaccines are the same. Um, really it's the transportation and the storage of the vaccines that are different with Pfizer, the Pfizer vaccine needing to be stored at about minus seven degrees Celsius, I believe. And so that makes it a little troublesome, especially for countries that don't have the proper equipment and resources to keep a vaccine that cold. It's a cold chain vaccine. And so it needs to be kept that cold. And then it has a shorter longevity once it is um, thawed. And so it has to be used. But the difference is really not in the technology or the efficacy of the two vaccines. It's mostly in the transportation and storage of the two. And the other two doctors can comment as well. Yeah. Yeah, I would say also the only other thing that's different based on the trials is that um, the Pfizer vaccine uh, was tested in people 16 years and older, whereas the Moderna vaccine was tested in people 18 years and older. Uh, and so uh, for the sake of uh, confidence, uh, if you are a parent of a young person, um, then you might be more inclined to uh, get your 16-year-old vaccine by the um, vaccine candidate that actually tested it in their trials. Um, but as uh, Dr. Wilson said, for the most part, the storage uh, and shipment of the vaccine are really the major differences. Um, but the science is the same. The science is sound. The efficacy, uh, at least over the short term, is the same. Um, and time will tell uh, how long um, our protection lasts as a result of these vaccines over the long term. Um, and the other thing I could add is the Pfizer is um, every, it's the second dose is at three weeks. Uh, Moderna, the second dose is at four weeks. And um, certainly as we are going to be administering the um, coronavirus vaccine in the city uh, to the community, uh, that is the Black Doctors Consortium, I'm happy that it'll likely be Moderna, that we don't have to um, worry about those cold temperatures. And also the Pfizer has to be uh, diluted, whereas, the I mean, this is more for administration, for folks who are administering. So it's easier, the Moderna is easier because of the temperature, because it is direct out of the vial as opposed to having to mix it before you provide it. So there's less room for error, there's fewer steps. Uh, and it really allows us to, um, to use it um, in the community. 
for folks that uh, may not be able to get to a hospital or just are more comfortable going to their neighborhood to get their vaccine. But, but can I hop in and ask, like, based on all of this, what would you say to people who are still skeptical? Me, that is me. Just want to. I'm. I'm going to speak for the skeptical people. My apologies. <laughs> okay. as, as an educated brother, I, I count myself to be educated. Graduated from a, a number of schools. Okay, so one, I want to just, Doctor um, Stanford, you actually touched on something that made me think. We are taught that this uh, coronavirus is very similar to the flu virus, and the layman's understanding of the flu virus is that you take a small amount of the actual virus. You wrap it around something scientific and you inject it into me. So my thought is you take a small amount of the COVID virus, wrap it around something and you inject it into me. That does not seem right, um, nor is my science right in that. So could you at least respond to my elementary science understanding of the coronavirus uh, and the vaccine that's gonna, you know. So, okay. So first, you already heard Dr. Burley as he talked about the messenger RNA. It is not that type of vaccine. But you're right. We do have killed vaccine and we do have live vaccine. So a great example of live vaccine was smallpox, smallpox, excuse me. And killed vaccine would be like the flu vaccine, which means it's an inactivated virus as it's coming into your body. So um, it's not, and, and just to be clear, it's not either one of those. It's mRNA, right? Synthetically derived. It's, so there's no virus that's wrapped in a particle that's being injected in your body. MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, yes. You know, smallpox, which we don't use anymore because it's eradicated, right? Was. Um, but this is not. This is a different technology. Now, AstraZeneca, which is an adenovirus, is a different technology, which has not been approved yet, then that'll be a different conversation. But we're only talking about what's here right now. And that's we're going back to back when AstraZeneca come up, because we got we need to know about that, because that's <laughs> a little different, a little shady, a little concerning. Yeah, well, but, but even, even the AstraZeneca candidate isn't an inactivated or live attenuated. So, Understood. Yeah. It's a detector, but it is right. It's not the MRI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so none of the none of the vaccine candidates um, that will come to America, at least for now, are are, are inactivated or live. Understood. But but, or, but, or, but, or, but or, Dr. Burley, Wosu, and Dr. Stanford, are, do you all have concerns about how the vaccine will impact uh, women as it relates to like infertility? Have it has anyone done a study on that? Now we're just gonna ask all, we're gonna ask all the neighborhood questions. We're gonna, we're gonna ask all the cousins' questions, the barbecue questions right here at the table. Yeah. <laughs> that one. I mean, I can talk about from pregnancy because for example, I, I was operating today, um, taking out an appendix in a nine nine-year-old, and my medical student is pregnant and has received the vaccine. And initially people were saying, don't give it in pregnant women. But then the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology came out and said that the risk of you contracting coronavirus was greater than the risk of you receiving the vaccine. And obviously this is a conversation you need to have with your physician and so forth, your OB, But at this point, that is the recommendation from the governing body of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, I hear you about the infertility and and so forth. Look, Dr. Stanford, that's that's like the barbershop questions. You know what I mean? You know, like another barbershop question is. No, 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 we can't can't have any more barbershop questions. We can't have any more barbershop questions. We're we're coming to a close. And so. I, I do want to uh, give give way for everybody to kind of give a, a closing remark or a closing thought. You, We have an audience. Um, people are still kind of dropping in questions. But in regards to your, just your closing thought, your message to, to our community in, in regards to the vaccine, you have said so much. So many gems have been dropped tonight. I, I feel I've learned a whole lot. You've already killed some myths and some misconceptions that I've heard talking to people. Um, but what is your final, uh, Dr. Stanford, Dr. Wosu, Dr. Burley, 
your final words that you can give um, in regards to, to the vaccine and uh, yeah, and, and people taking the vaccine? Um, I can start. So I'm saying I'm speaking to black people. Let me just be clear about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the most powerful white people in the world are leveraging all of their resources to move to the front of the line. The Talk vaccine. about it. Talk about it. You're right. And Sorry. Preach. <laughs> He's right. He's right. Meanwhile, we're losing our place in line because we're arguing and debating about what's in it uh, and whether or not it's, it's for us or not. Um, that doesn't mean those arguments are valid because they are given our history. But I want everybody to be able to make an informed decision when their number comes up right. uh, and to be able to say, I don't believe this is the best thing for me and my family based on the information, factual, uh, correct science-based information that I've received and understand. Uh, I'd much rather that than people saying, I'm not participating in this based on misinformation or no information or all, at all, uh, or very little information or, or a, a little understanding of the information. So um, don't lose your spot in line uh, mm -hmm. on account of some bad information because you're gonna, your spot is gonna be replaced by some white person um, who um, is very much so eager uh, to, to, to get their vaccine so that they can continue uh, to enjoy outside. Um, so by all means, continue to engage these types of conversations and platforms, um, people who you trust uh, as good information bearers. Uh, and I'm not talking about the dude with a lot of followers on TikTok who got a D in high school science, um, but has these you know theories about the vaccine. I'm talking about trained, respected people in our communities. They exist. Just look at the screen uh, and get the information that you need to make an informed decision. And if your decision is that this is not something that's for you, uh, I can respect that. Uh, but uh, I consider it a, a form of uh, professional malpractice um, to allow our people specifically uh, to miss out on the solution for the problem that has affected us the most on the basis of fear and misinformation mm. uh, and, um, and no information. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Burley. Dr. Stanford, Dr. Wosu. That was great. Yeah, um, it was. I have been practicing for about 20 years. And like Dr. Burley earlier said, I've never seen something so advanced as far as the science is concerned. And we're talking about this vaccine. And so it's hard, really, for me to be excited when I see so many people so weary. But again, like he said, we cannot let our fears dictate our fate. We have to be advocates for ourselves. We have to do that with the right information. I understand, you know, the history and I understand, you know, we are rather have garlic and ginger. But if that could cure COVID, I'll be, you know, for that, too. But Right now, it doesn't. And so we have to do what's best for our family so we can be here for them. We also make decisions based on our experience. When you see lives lost, as many of the physicians have seen, it's not even really a question. Um, and I would hate to see a life lost based on a decision that was right there in front of you that you could have easily made um, and you decided not to. Wow, I wish I had a mic to drop because you guys, wow. Um, in the city, what I'm doing on the vaccine advisory committee is first making sure that we can give it because for some people it matters when it's a black doctor giving you your vaccine. And I get that. Or a black nurse giving that to you. And so um, the Black Doctors Consortium, we will be administering the coronavirus vaccine. 
And I'm excited to be able to do that because I know for some folks that matters. Um, <laughs> if I could tell you all the people who have emailed and texted me to figure out how they could get to the front of the line and how much time we're spending to convince other people it's a lot. And it's not the folks who are dying with the least access. And so I would say, use us as an example. We all want to be here for our families, for our children, and would not put anything in my body that I believed would hurt me or take me away from my family. And know that. And know that. Um, so look out for us. We'll be out there ready and ready to continue to serve, to serve you all. Man, that was uh that was powerful. That was powerful. So I, I just want to say um on behalf of the three times dope podcast and everybody that's in the comments, thank you all so much. Uh, for making time to answer the questions, um, give us the facts, because that's all we've been hearing is facts. Um, and being so candid and just your experience um, as well, the, the conversation and dialogue has been so beneficial um, to the community. And so we just thank you and I, uh, we applaud you for the work that you're doing in the community because you're, you're on the ground in the community I mean, I know Dr. Stanford, you were coming straight in from holding a, a, a clinic this, this evening. So we just thank you all for um, the work that you're doing and the time that you uh, have been taking to, to answer our questions and to, to engage. And we look forward to uh, having you back. When that AstraZeneca one come out, we, we need to have another session and we, we need to continue this, early, uh, this conversation. <laughs> we need to continue the conversation. Yeah. Yes. So uh, to all our all our um, all the people who have tuned in on Facebook and Twitter, thank you uh, for the comments. And I, I would tell you, follow these individuals, get their handles on Twitter, follow them um, as they're dropping gems and giving knowledge uh, to our community. But but thank you for our third episode. And we will see you um, again. Again, uh, Dr. Hayes, what's up? Not about to close out just yet, but before the guests leave, one, uh, could you all tell us where we can find you? Tell us the organizations you run and where we can find you on any social media before you all exit. Uh, uh, Dr. Stanford? Yep. So at Dr. Ala Stanford, um, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium, BDCC. You can find us that way too. Oh, it's all on the on the uh, backdrop that the staff got up there. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Wilson. I'm on Facebook under Uchechi Isarima, and I also write for MedCraze.com, so you can see a lot of new articles coming out on there. And then Instagram, Instagram, straight talk from the doctor, straight underscore talk from the doctor. Thank you, and Dr. Burley. Yeah, uh, on Twitter at Ulysses Burley, uh, on Facebook at Ulysses the Third, so Ulysses Roman number three, and on Instagram at U B the Cure, U B T H E C U R E. Also, uh, I'm an ambassador for the COVID nineteen Prevention Network. Uh, so if you want to learn more about uh, Operation Warp Speed uh, and its evaluation uh, and uh, of those vaccines, you can visit www.prevent covid.org. Yep. So I would just say uh, to our producer who's managing us right now, we had another segment. Uh, for those who don't know, I grew up in the black church and in the black church, we believe in a God moment and you just don't add to a God moment. <laughs> like I feel like in this hour session, we just had like a, a God moment in which like science is all a part of that, right? I am motivated, encouraged, inspired by what these three um, these three individuals, these three just kind of just amazing people have brought to us tonight. Like it, it came in hot, like it, it was hot, hot, hot. Uh, and just the point to Dr. Burley's point, like excellence is not novel to us, right? 
like these three individuals are leading the work. Um, I'm encouraged. I'm inspired. I am. I am motivated. And I just want to like personally just thank you all just for coming and sharing your stories with us today. Did we get all the myths? I know I was late. Did we get all yeah, the myths? Yeah, most of them, Doctor Stanford. We gonna yeah, have to have we didn't get to talk about the chip, but we'll talk about the chip. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, don't do it. Barbershop wants to know about the chip. That's a bootleg barbershop in Philly asking that question. I'm going to take a picture of the vial so you can see the lick. There is no chip in it. There's no chip in it. That's a closing word right there. That's a closing word. There's no chip in it. Hashtag no chip in it. Let's go ahead and put that out there. Put that out there. You heard it first here. There's no chip in it. 